and welcome to Let's Talk Gambling on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM with Andrew Brown, Council and Health Promoter, Josh and myself, Graham. This program on behalf of PGF Services. Flawless today, you guys. Got Perfect. it right. Well Can't fault it. How many years have we been doing this program now? Too oh, many. Probably about <laughs> nine, eight yeah. or nine. I yeah, probably f- eight. Finally. So what's happening in the world of gambling? Are well, there big indeed. highlights? Um, probably a lot of very ordinary stuff, but there's a lot of info that's come out from um, the post-COVID time in terms of stats and things. And both Josh and I are going to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about probably from a more comparative point of view because I thought... Um, I, always, I haven't talked about Tasmania for ages, and... I just noticed there was a parallel in the the trend between Tasmania and New Zealand. Both countries had enjoyed, well, I won't say enjoyed, but had experienced a post-COVID boom in numbers. Very similar trend. Um, Granted, Tasmania has a smaller population, but in New Zealand, the figures, sorry, Josh, um, hadn't been so high on pokey since 2007. Um, right. And yet the numbers of machines nationally in New Zealand has dropped dramatically since 2007. So um, in the words of one person who wrote one of these articles, um, I think Kiwis missed pokies during lockdown, so they compensated when things were somewhat back to normal. Um, they sure as heck did, and the same happened in Tasmania. Their spend, I don't have comparative annual figures, but their COVID figures was 70,000 up or with an increase uh, from pre-COVID figures. Um, and that was just on a daily, it was a, you know, a smaller basis. But um, it was interesting because in Tasmania, I've also noted here that both Labour and the Greens wanted poker machines to be removed from the pubs and clubs and just retained in two casinos. And Josh and I spent some time debating this. We've we've often talked about it at at group. Uh, And most gamblers that I get to meet would say, things would be much better if the pokies were just confined to casinos. Right. Not that we're in the business of promoting pokies, but if they've got to be somewhere, it's probably better. Mm. Is there a bigger, uh, what's the word I want, thing happening <coughs> here in your experience as a counsellor post-COVID? And what sprang to my mind when you were outlining that increase in New Zealand and Tasmania, that dreadful stabbing in the Dunedin supermarket and the head of the supermarket chain saying that since lockdown has been over, they're noticing a level of aggression and anger amongst mm. customers. So is there some bigger social phenomena rolling around here and that one-off spin of <coughs> the gambling? Well, there's no doubt a lot of trauma um, associated with maybe, well, whether it's fair to level it all at covid it might be that plus other things like the shootings and all that. Who mm. knows? But there is a, a much higher level of social anxiety um, or general anxiety amongst young people. Um, so there are things that we're seeing which are 
I guess, being expressed in these times that we're in now. Yeah. I, in a very simple way, I just think, gee, everyone was cooped up during COVID. When they were finally out of it, they went to the pubs and they went and they gambled with great abandon, abandon and glee. And pokies happened to be in that same environment, so they went for it. Right. But maybe that's a bit simplistic. I don't know. I don't but know. the fact that that spend hasn't been matched since 2007 has to be significant. Almost mm. a sense of reckless abandon, almost. Mm. Yeah. And whether that does come <coughs> from the potential isolation and um, restrictions of COVID. But it does seem to be, I mean, I'm gener- generalising here now, but, but maybe in a lot of facets of life, maybe partly you know in gambling as well where it is just in some ways has been a free-for-all i just found it fascinating that both tasma and it didn't take much research to find that those two articles even though they were coming from a slightly different perspective both had in common this post-covid boom in gambling and very similar um, I know Tasmania is part of Australia, but let's yep. just s- subtract the rest of the country away from it. <laughs> An isolated island nation, yep. not unlike New Zealand. Yeah, and that's why I often like quoting Tasmania, um, because there are a lot of similarities. Mm. But, yeah, we can ponder on that, but um, that's the reality, and grim as it might be, uh, that's human nature after covid that mm. we've seen. Be interesting to wait another six months and see what the next lot of figures show. It will. It will indeed. So that's uh, my two. I'll you, pass. Not quite. You haven't talked no? about the Palms to North Pokies. Oh, yeah. And that's an interesting one because that, in a way, could be said it was a victim of COVID inadvertently, but I think they were also, sounds as if they were negligent. The Palms to North Club, called The Daily, it was a nightclub with 18 machines, which is what was allowed in the old scheme of things. Um, I think I've been in there. They've lost their, <laughs> their license pokies. or their ability to run pokies. It's been taken away because the machines were inactive for too long after COVID. The rules say if the machines are inactive for over a month, um, <coughs> they will remain inactive. Um, they did protest, but whatever they did or didn't do, they've lost them. And it's a big, that's a lot of machine, a lot of revenue. Mm. When you think a typical machine nets about between fifty and 60000 a year. Um, and these machines were inactive. They were inactive during COVID, yes. but they were obviously inactive for a period of time after. Right. The the rules say if a machine's inactive for if machines are inactive for a month or more, they are deemed to be shut down or stopped. They must have um, mm. been. There must have been a bit more to it. But the fact is that they've been shut down, are uh, not allowed to um, operate again, is really significant. It's um. And that's in the old New Zealand here. Right, because that's quite interesting in comparison to what we just <coughs> talked about, about the, the New Zealand-Tasmania. Yeah. Everything has actually surged, and yet these poor guys, their machines became inactive. Well, it's interesting because Palmerston is a student town. Um, there was a bit more in it that said, um, well, 
It's army territory. Most of the army people went were deployed elsewhere Indeed. in New Zealand to do other stuff yes. during that COVID post COVID time. Students probably weren't there. Mm. So isn't that interesting? Yeah. So there's a bit more to it, but they have become a victim of COVID, whether by design or whatever. It's happened. So did they choose to just? leave the pokies off because of lack of interest or patronage or was it an oversight, do you, do you it know? It just sounds like they were a bit slow in getting them up and running or that um, it, maybe it wasn't viable for a, a mm. longer period. It, that I can't tell you more mm. than that, but the DIA saw fit to shut them down. And that means those licences will not now be reissued That's in Palmerston North? Yeah. Yeah, right. they did put a protest up, but it was overall. So. Right, so 20 machines, just using rough figures, at 50000 that's a million dollars a year. That's but a- it figures, as we know them, even when machine counts go down, for some inexplicable reason, it doesn't correlate with the usage. You would think it should, but it doesn't necessarily. Mm. So other machines will be used more. But hopefully... Um, in Palmerston's case, it will be a deterrent. Who knows? Indeed. Mm. Josh, you've got a pile of papers <coughs> here today. Where, where are you going to start? I do indeed. <coughs> well, this is just very brief, but it, it follows on what Andrew was talking about around the increased expenditure on pokies in the last part of 2020. So they've put out the um, gambling expenditure figures for the last quarter of 2020. And they are the highest since 2007. The quarterly spend came out at $252 million. And I think most people would agree that 2020 was one of the most unusual years in recent history. Indeed, indeed. So depending on the way you think, you could think that's quite unusual. Or as we were talking about previously, Maybe it's just conducive to the reckless abandonment that um, mm. a part of society, you know, went through early part of this year, last part of last year. But you know, the highest expenditure since two thousand seven—that's that's not insignificant. That's thirteen years. Mm. Yeah. So yes, it'll be interesting. interesting to see, as we said a minute ago, see if that trend continues. Whether it's going to abate. Um, we should be able to get the first quarter expenditure of this year should be out pretty soon. So hopefully by the next show mm. we may be able to update and see if the trend has continued or whether it's whether it's fallen away slightly. Well, in, in sort of uh, relation to that, I'm hoping they can come out with some sharp figures around online activity. So I know there was an article um, about the Salvation Army's um, figures on online proportions and they cited the online activity amongst their regular people they see as being up by, I think, 5 or 7% mm. in, in relation to the people they see. And I'm hoping we will see stats, um, national ones, around online, because um, to me, with more people working from home and with less mobility and people staying away from large groups, maybe... That will contribute to higher mm. online usage as well. We are in a strange new world, aren't we? And because of this world, <clears throat> going off on a slight tangent, it, it is very easy. I mean, even during lockdown, when we were all at home, barring 
you know, exercise mm. and um, a big outing of going to the supermarket, um, you could stay at home and still do your gambling. You know, years mm. ago, and look, I don't think we're even going back that far. I would say only maybe, gee whiz, 15 years, maybe even 10, you couldn't have done it. You would not have been able to do any gambling at all. Yeah. But because of the world that we're in and the ease of which you could do it, it was not necessarily an enforced abstinence, was it, this lockdown? I mm. mean, a lot of people could have just gravitated online. But equally, at the same point in time, many of us started to, well, we upped our online shopping. Mm. So it's right across the board. Um, yeah. I needed some <coughs> printer cartridges <coughs> for my printer at home the other week. It was actually easier to log on to Noel Leemings and order them and get them couriered to yeah. our place than to drive down and buy them. So I wonder whether that um, is kind of right across the board from our purchasing to our, our recreation. Um, COVID has actually enabled a whole lot more online stuff. Well, in a similar vein, my work, um, I'm very aware that I alternate a lot more between home and two offices, but a lot more of my work is done via Zoom and phone mm. than ever before. And even though we could always work via phone before, I think uh, because of that very thing that you guys were talking about a moment ago, behaviours have changed. So what wasn't done or is as normal or acceptable two years ago or behavioural, now it's become a core part of the work. So mm. I'm, there's a lot more interventions via phone and by, via Zoom. Right, um, interesting. Which were available 18 months ago, but we hadn't embraced them in mm. the same way. Well, let's wait and see what the figures look like in the next quarter. Yeah. Horse <coughs> harness <coughs> racing <coughs> has had a little bit of a hiccup. Well, one individual's had a hiccup, hasn't he? Yeah, well, that, that, that's very true. I mean, this was, um, I think this actually made the made the news, I think. It was quite a big deal. But um, a harness racing trainer was suspended after being caught injecting a suspected performance-enhancing drug into two horses hours before they were due to race on the track. The Racing Integrity <coughs> Unit investigators watched on as junior driver and trainer Jesse Elford administered a substance to the horse at his stables. The harness racing industry has had its reputation tarnished by a number of recent scandals, which goes on to, um, if you recall, I think it was last year, talking about a few issues with the um, harness racing industry. Mm. Basically, what, what the um, Racing Integrity Unit was doing here was it was um, watching. Yes. So they basically swooped. <clears throat> pretty much seen seen the guy doing it, so he was literally really caught red-handed. Then a subsequent raid of his stables and home found, you know, needles and drug paraphernalia and this performance-enhancing drug, you know, around the area. Um, he has not been sentenced yet. I mean, he's been found guilty. He's been so found I'm, guilty. I'm, I'm yeah, quite right. confident in saying yeah. all of this. Yes, but the guy hasn't been sentenced. Another interesting. Anomaly that happened was several hours before the race was due to be run, there was a tremendous amount of money bet on this horse. I think it may have been st st the betting, it may have started out paying about $12, ended up coming into being the favourite, $2.50, $2 something favourite. So that suggests the 
suggest, I'm not saying it does, but it suggests that there is a group of people who had a awareness of the situation? That would be the case, yeah. I mean, mm. we don't want to speculate on things that we don't know, but you, you don't see that amount of money on a horse right. like that for no reason. Right. So you'd have to say <clears throat> there was... Um, and I believe even in his defence, the trainer did come out and say it had to be the betting. Did that tip you off? So I think he may have been aware that... Right. So it's quite possible, and again, this part of speculation, sure. they may have followed the betting pattern on the horse, which may have then tipped them to go and um, just stake out the stable just right. to be sure. So it may have been a sort of smoke and mirror sort of thing. Hmm. Now there's another one happened recently that's more local in Foxton. A, um, a dog trainer has been... Um, convicted and disqualified for four months and fined $3,500 for injecting meth into a greyhound. Yeah, you, you do have to wonder how the trainer thought they were going to get away with that. Because they take urine samples, blood samples, etc. Yeah. Now, don't quote me on this. They certainly do in horses. I'm not so a fay with dogs. Right, okay, but I'm yeah. pretty sure, 99% sure, they would take samples of every winner of a greyhound, of a greyhound race. Mm. Right. So I can't imagine how this person thought they were going to get away with it. Hmm. Whether they thought they would take the fine but made a lot of money betting on it is possible. Yeah. I, must, I don't know. Uh, That's just... Uh, I must confess, and I, I have to mirror, bracket this with, this is my opinion, it's speculation. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty light fine, a, a pretty light penalty for a deliberate... Drugging event? I tend to agree with you. Um, obviously, greyhound racing is not is not as um, glamorous or profitable as horse racing. So I guess, in essence, the fines do have to reflect that oh, in okay, a okay. way. Good point, yep. But for something which is an act of absolute, deliberate, unabated cheating, mm. it does seem mm. on the light end. And, you know, I don't... I, you don't really want to speculate or, or, or throw stuff around, but mm. I would say the amount of time this lady was suspended for too does seem a bit on the light end to me as yeah. well. Mm. Okay, let's jump across the Tasman to your f most um, favourite um, corporation, Crown. Mm. Yeah, this is just the, the story mm. that won't go away. Mm. Every time I say we should have a finite um, <laughs> end to the saga, but every time mm. I look there's more. So there's two things, really. I'll start with the fine, because I guess that's what we've been talking about. Crown casinos have been hit with a $1 million fine for failing to vet foreign high rollers and scrutinise junket operators, some of whom have links to organised crime gangs, as I think we have mentioned on the show before. Junket operators bring high rollers from mainland Asia to Australia to gamble, and some have been linked with organised crime. The Victorian Commission for Gambling and Liquor Regulation said Crown has failed to comply with its regulatory operations. The Commission concluded that in respect of the analysed individuals, the process implemented by Crown was not at all robust. Puts it quite succinctly, doesn't it? So basically, 
Crown has failed to gather the necessary information to make an informed decision about the people behind the junkets and did not check or verify the relevant information directly with those involved. So in layman's terms, they were going over there, bringing in the, the whales and the big high rollers, and they couldn't really care where the money came from. I think I'm quite comfortable to say that. I don't think that's overly controversial. That's mm. basically what they're saying. Mm. Is a million dollar fine a large number compared to their um, gross earnings a year? Interesting. There is a um, Green Party um, MP called Samantha Ratnam who has said that the fine was too little, too late after years of inaction by both the state and federal regulators. The fine itself will likely be nothing more of loose change to Crown. So, I understand a million dollars just loose change. It's loose change. <laughs> well, the, think of how much these people would be making in a year. Exactly. I mean, I think this woman does have a point that that is, in some ways, a, a slap on the wrist. I mean, she reckons it should be in the tens of hundreds of millions, which would make them think twice, basically. They have been banned, though, from enticing gamblers from Asia. Whether that stops them is not up for me to say. Indeed. But they have been banned to, um, you know, go over there and um, deal with the junkets and bring the high rollers right. in. They claim they had already decided to stop that before this investigation. Oh, yes, of course. I will leave it up to the <laughs> listeners to decide if they believe that one. Indeed. I'm not going to say anything either way. Right. But um, just to finish off with Crown. Um, sta- and there's more. And there's more. <laughs> Star, Star Casino, which is Crown's rival in Australia, they, they are the um, they have a casino in Sydney, <clears throat> just over the um, over the bridge from Darling Harbour. If anyone knows that part of Sydney, Primont, yeah, that's where their casino is. They may have casinos elsewhere in Australia. The only one I am aware of is Sydney. They have launched a bid to merge with Crown Casino to basically attempt to create a $12 billion gambling giant. So they will, they basically want to merge the two casinos right. together to create one company to control the major cities in Australia. Well, they'll run into, the, I guess, the same kind of regulatory bodies we have here in New Zealand that look at, um, what's the word I want? Responsible gambling. Due diligence, yeah, um, in a sense. The, the, that you don't have one player dominating the yeah. market. Mm. What do you call that? It's got a fancy word for it. Oh, oh. anti-competitive. Uh, I know thing. it. Monopoly. Monopoly. Monopoly yeah, that's Monopoly. the word. Not yeah. the game, but the word. Uh, yeah. yeah. So basically, what's happened is, uh, casino operator the Star has submitted a merger proposal to main rival Crown Resorts. So Crown hasn't officially accepted this yet, but they've put this on the table to their shareholders. The non-binding proposal offers 2.68 star shares per Crown share, which Star says value Star says values Crown shares above $14. Crown shareholders will be offered the alternative of $12.50 cash per share, up to a limit of 25% of its shares. The merger proposal trumps a bid by US private equity firm Blackstone, which was um, trying to do a similar thing. So based on all of that, 
It does look like Crown is interested in merging with another casino, and I think this is partly due to James Packer, who is Crown's biggest shareholder and the guy that took over from his father, Kerry, in terms of running the business, who wants out. Mm. So he would be looking to merge with another casino and really step back. Obviously, Crown are quite keen on this because they've put this offer to their shareholders, but it's nothing more than that at the moment, and it does state that a merger of the two companies will require approval by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which confirmed that Star has been in touch. So this is another Watch the Space article that we'll continue mm. to merger mm. because it is quite a big deal in the Australian <laughs> gambling world because... You've got the two giants in essence. I mean, I think Crown is quite a bit more substantial than Star, but you do have the two main casino gambling bodies in Australia looking to merge into one entity. And what was the number you quoted? $12 billion? That's what they will um, become if they can become one company, $12 billion. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how much they were making compared to what Crown were making, but together they'll be looking at a $12 billion-plus industry. That's a significant sum of money. Mm. Just shows the, um, well, you know, we're talking about a $1 million fine. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. You know, Indeed, it, puts it into perspective, doesn't it, it? It does a little bit. So I'm not going to say this time that that's the end of the Crown saga because I don't believe it based no. on all of the stuff There'll that's going indeed. on. Indeed. But watch this space on that as well. All right. Thanks, Josh. Mm. Andrew. This brings us next to the end of our program. People want to contact you about the issues of problem gambling, both for themselves or within their family, their whanau. How do they contact yeah. you? Uh, well, the 0800 number is 0800 And remember, it's not just for the gamblers. It's also for all the others who are impacted by gambling. Um, and it's a free service. Good, thank you. You listen to Let's Talk Gambling on Coast Access Radio with Andrew Brown, Josh, myself, Graham, the programme on behalf of PGF Services. This programme is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.